Love shook my heart like the wind on the mountain troubling the oak trees. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solocene. This week we're going to be launching a new semester all about biographies of people who will inhabit the Solocene. For anyone who's new, the Solocene means an imagined future that's beautiful, sustainable, and tactile, and we use it as a bit of a word to replace cool, futuristic, utopian. Utopian. So throughout the episode, if we say that's really Solocene, we mean utopian for the most part. That's neat. Yes. It's groovy. Rad. Rad. If you are interested, we are on the YouTube and you can watch us. I am wearing my Sappho inspired outfit today. Tell me how you like it. Yeah, we both look really rad. And we're also maybe doing some hand signals <laughs> and shapes with our hands to kind of illustrate our points. So if you're listening on the podcast apps, you're just missing out on an immense amount of body context. So for this semester, we're both really excited about it. We've done it a little bit differently than our previous ones, where usually we will decide on a topic for an episode based on the conversation from the last episode. This time we've planned out 12 people that we want to be talking about. So we kind of have a bit of a comprehensive overview of things before we even get started, which allows us to prepare maybe a little bit smarter and just make sure we're not make sure we're covering all the bases that we want to cover. Mm-hmm. And Sappho, why did we choose her to start this semester? Well, we wanted to talk about love. And you'll notice throughout the this semester, there'll be quite a few authors because we both are readerly people. There's also quite a few films, not films, a few directors. So it's probably disproportionate to those, but we think storytelling and poetry are really great vessels for conveying the human experience. And because most of our semesters so far have been like education, technology, like internet, there hasn't been much space to talk about love and relationships. It's a good point. And I think that the storytelling archetype is very fitting for Solocene because effectively what we're doing on this podcast is trying to sculpt a story albeit mm-hmm. sometimes with more academic language from you more non- <laughs> <laughs> non-verbal or, or grunting language from me so i guess another kind of disclaimer is that these episodes won't be 100 percent endorsements of their subjects because mm-hmm. we're not historians so we won't be talking for an hour about the lives of these people we're going to be using them more as springboards to discuss different lessons or inspirations we can take from them or at least what we know about them or what we can read about them for the solo scene it's a little bit more like a mount rushmore that's how we envisioned it except Mm -hmm. instead of four people there are 12 and one of them may or may not be harambe so (laughs) (laughs) i thought the best way to start this conversation about sappho is by actually analyzing one of the poems that's Mm -hmm. why i started this episode with the short one most of her poetry has not survived for today. Mm-hmm. Most of it, I think, burnt in like the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, a lot of it was lost basically within her lifetime, mm. but it was preserved through other writers and other philosophers who admired her and had kept a copy sort of thing. Yeah, okay. So pretty much all of the fragments that we even have are not even her original ones. They are 
okay. versions that have passed down, so but she's been... estimated to have been quite prolific and written 10,000 lines of right. poetry. And today we just have this book, which is like... 650. Slightly meager. Yeah. But I, I chose this little three-line fragment, I suppose. They have this kind of haiku quality, which is really nice now, because I think it's quite a decent representation of most of what's surviving. So I'll repeat it. Love shook my heart like the wind on the mountain troubling the oak trees. And this other translation reads, like a gale smiting an oak on mountainous terrain, eros with a stroke shattered my brain. Which sounds pretty different, but it's pretty much, it's, it's the same metaphor, it's the same idea being described. And one of the first points I wanted to take from this is just the real powerful personification of love as like this force of nature. Like it's a really seismic mm -hmm. thing. It describes it as troubling the oak trees. Like it doesn't just kind of rustle them or breeze through them. Mm. Or in this other poem, it says smiting. Like it's something very strong. Yeah. It's a force. Yeah. And often in poetry, love can be represented as the breeze, the waves. <laughs> yeah. But it's like love can be a lot more than that. And that's part of what we want to talk about today is how love is not just this one feeling. Mm. How it can be a feeling applied to many different types of people, many different types of experiences, and how it can sometimes be like ravaging in like a genuinely negative way yeah, it's or this, a positive one. It's this double-sided thing where at, this, at once it's a, like if we just get really granular with the image, if you look on a mountain and the breeze is shaking the trees, so it looks like this kind of, look like a wind rushing through grass, mm. then it looks really pretty. But if you're on that mountain and you're, let's say, in that forest and the wind is troubling all the oak trees around you it's not such a beautiful it's a scary thing or mm -hmm. potentially a, a painful thing so i think that kind of honesty about it is really cool especially from someone when you hear of love poetry or a love poets you tend to think of it as being very ornamental and pretty mm. but this is just so kind of harsh in a sense it's a it's a beautiful image but it's also kind of violent yeah. In that second translation, the word eros is used. Mm. What does that mean? So there's different types of love in the Greek language. And eros is the romantic love. This mm -hmm. is where we get erotic from. Mm -hmm. Eros is basically Cupid, the son of Aphrodite, who is personified either as this kind of mischievous bow and arrow toting little love implanter or simultaneously this elemental force basically mm -hmm. yeah so that's eros and that is the romantic passionate love which is mentioned throughout sappho's poetry but all of the other types of love are also mentioned and there's philia which is an authentic intimate friendship or brotherly love kind of brotherly love yeah or sisterly in this case erotoropia which is flirtatious love okay flirty playful Oh, just bit, yeah bit, a little bit of that uh philatia which is compassionate self-love thought that was interesting because we don't have really a word for that besides self-love which kind of feels yeah shallow it's a little bit therapy speak for sure. yeah storage unconditional familial love Do you think that's how the greeks pronounce it yeah storage storage <laughs> pragma committed companion love mm. Pragmatic, probably. Perhaps. Yeah. And iconically, agape love, which is 
like the God love, empathetic, universal love. Yeah, which is also a, another, I would say it's the second or third most prominent theme in her poems, as For was sure. often the case in in ancient times, appeals to the muses, appeals to particularly female deities in Sappho's poetry, mm-hmm. and just never really, never so much disconnecting, should we say, worldly praise from upward or divine mm-hmm. always connecting them because the, the invocations to the muses were always there whatever type of poetry and you say iconically for agape it for most people listening it's not iconic, not iconic. but we went to this one church service where the speaker i think that might have been his word of the day but i mean you remember it so it worked yeah he said it probably close to a hundred times agape like agape agape agape, agape 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 yeah. And it's like, okay, cool, you found a new word, but like it, it isn't a new concept, especially in a church. Mm. But I like know. those two I like those those different types of love. And I know ancient Greece wasn't the only culture that would have different words for different types of love. I mean, even we kind of do now, because you'll say platonic and you'll say romantic and you say mm-hmm. self love, but those are more like prefixes. These are yeah. these are different they're different loves entirely. Like they're yeah. different uh words. I had this Reference that in 1960, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know about that? I did, yeah. He was obviously writing out of a Christian perspective, and one of the ones that he mentioned was philia. I think he even used the same word for it. Mm-hmm. And he said basically, and he was kind of bemoaning in the text the lack of philia and the lack of emphasis, the lack of opportunity for it in the modern world. This was in 1960. I would say 60 years on, it's even worse now. We have even mm-hmm. less of a compassion for our brethren unless we're looking for romance. And maybe it's even it's even less encouraged to talk about it than it was then. Mm-hmm. But he also had this quote in the book that kind of explained this and said, it's the least organic, necessary, natural of loves. And this is why I think the absence of philia would be so widespread and even dangerous or, or corrosive a thing today. Because it is possible for society to go on without it entirely. Whereas obviously that's not the case with, let's say, Eros. You mm. need that. And familial love, that's pretty much always going to be there. But the absence of brotherly compassion or sisterly compassion is something that you kind of have to consciously work towards, I suppose. I think so. You're right. It's the one that isn't 100% natural. Yeah. And you, as you said, it can the world can and has been going on without it. Mm. But perhaps in the soul scene, this will be one of the keys to creating a more compassionate and whole society. Yeah. By having the language and the like skills, even mm. to have healthy interpersonal non-romantic relationships. I mean, I've, I think I've mentioned on the pod before, but one of my least favorite new words of the last decade or so was bromance. It's like because it's this need to contextualize everything through romantic love because that's mm-hmm. the only kind of reference point that we we have quite often. Yeah, and often when you do have a really close group of friends, it's like, oh, they're my family, which is like... Yeah, they're my family, exactly. It's like true to an extent, but it's like I wish there was another word for this, like they're my troop or they're I mean, my... Well, well, friend used to mean something. Right. That used to be a serious thing until it got maybe made so shallow I mean, Facebook, friends. Facebook friends or yeah. people just 
kind of say if you know someone yeah he's my friend or whatever but friend mm. with a capital f like that's a serious thing so going back to that poem especially the first translation love shook my heart like the wind on the mountain traveling the oak trees it's obviously an elevated state of feeling mountains are high up so are oak trees most poems will take will exaggerate for the metaphor for the imagery and i had this question of like does this contrast romantic love with other types of love or does it contrast contrast all love with non-feeling let's say love shook my heart like the wind on the mountain troubling the oak trees because something i got from this is that it's kind of implicitly stated that hearts can and do go without being shaken mm. you know because it's an event it's a singular event that she's describing and so there are times when the heart is not being shaken by love and so that's how i read that as well i think of in hindu and christian tradition there's the like in hindu there's like five stages of love kind of hmm. up to like it starts with the eros then it kind of goes up to the the agape sort of situation mm -hmm. and it's seen more of like a transcendence yes and in like the christian tradition it's similar of like once you accept god into your life there it's just this overwhelming like flood of love that's constant and like towards everything and i feel like that's kind of what she's describing is like before love and after love yeah and it's like you can know those kind of basic physical types of love of like the eros but once you experience true friendship and true family and like it's like a storm kind of thing it's true i mean in this one translation it does it does state eros with a stroke shattered my brain which i suppose was the original intent but i think it works both ways and i just yeah as i say i like the violence of the image i like the fact that it's kind of an unpretty sensation mm -hmm. and but when you think about wind going through trees it's not exactly even though it could be violent and loud let's say mm -hmm. it's not really that dangerous i mean sometimes you could have a tree that's actually broken by it but most often it will rustle the leaves knocks them off maybe take down a branch so it unpretties them but it doesn't exactly hurt them you know what i mean mm. so it's kind of this also the pain of love being good for you that kind of uh yeah that kind of thought it's funny because we kind of had a thesis for this episode before we started researching mm -hmm. and we kind of thought sappho we'll talk about love we'll talk about all kinds particularly brotherly even though obviously a lot of what she wrote about was romantic mm -hmm. eros but then as I was reading it, I was kind of like, actually, we could talk a bit about the romantic mm -hmm. throughout the semester. We don't really have anybody else. I think we'll cover that kind of base. And we haven't talked about it so much on this podcast at all, even though we've done five seasons. I think because we're both fortunate enough to not have to participate in the dating scene. Yeah, I imagine if we were in the dating scene, we'd be talking a bit more about the Tinder of the solar scene. Yeah, dating in the ideal world. AKA no Tinder. But we won't get into the weeds of it, but I just think there's kind of a, a sensuality to her poetry, maybe all poetry, that mm. from an outsider anyway seems to be absent a little bit from the way modern courtship is going. Yeah. And I said on a previous episode that one of the things I want to do, because I'm kind of a, an aspiring writer or poet, is not just be able to tell stories like great storytellers or rhyme like great poets or poetesses but it's 
the actual to be able to feel like an artist mm -hmm. like to be so receptive to be vulnerable like an oak tree which is on a mountainside which seems more vulnerable than one that's let's say on a valley like you're sticking yourself out and saying wind rustle me or smite me if that if you, if you so choose so it's kind of this idea of life being led by the heart as well as the brain or the mind i feel like we're in a very mind time not always a good mind time because i think it's you know attention spans and focus and concentration are maybe not as healthy as they could be but i just think that we do spend a lot of time up here rather than down here i'm pointing at my chest mm -hmm. i agree often when you read the letters and poems of people even like 60 years ago you kind of think I could never write something like that. And that there's was just a, there's a, a passion to it, right? Yeah. There's a passion to it. And today we have such an aloofness, mm -hmm. such a coolness. I guess I'll spoil that next week's episode is about Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I've been reading a book about how to read Shakespeare, the proper ways that actors should approach it when they're on stage. And something the author states is that today we are too cool and we don't want to put any kind of juice into our words. Like we, mm -hmm. we're very scared of saying things as if we mean them yeah. but that's kind of the core of poetry it's like for once let's say things as if we mean them i think also the fact that these were sang at parties people drinking people having fun little symposiums and by more than one person i think some of them were solos but most of them were for a chorus mm -hmm. it's a completely different way to how we think about poems today which is kind of a dry, like, academic way. Yeah, for sure. Because there's even a section in the book that we have about, like, her wedding songs that she would compose for people to have sung at their weddings. Yeah. And her, like, Sappho's role in society really sticks out to me because she's a woman. And there were, like, 20 known female poets from ancient Greece. And you go through their collections and there's just like nothing some of them wrote like funny riddles one of them literally was just known for a single line on a tombstone oh. so it's like why was she so she really stood out compared to like all of the ancient women yeah obviously because of the roles that women had in society as weavers or whatever they were supposed to be doing but she especially in her community they had this interesting structure for these like women's groups where women would come together and she was the leader of hers this is like historical kind of speculation yeah but there's an idea that she was the leader of this like women's group and that there were a bunch of them and you were talking to each other's like enemy who was like conflicting and another leader <laughs> well, of, in, like, yeah in a few of the poems she would shout out this one it seems kind of comedically cruel and also because yeah. one of the notes i have for the the end of the episode is about emotional intelligence but she was really <laughs> doing this kind of petty uh, subtweets in some of the poems but. Mm -hmm. but she was like the leader of this like women's group and it was compared when i was reading like the history of her to like how in sparta there were like the spartan groups but those were obviously men who yeah. would come together to like sharpen each other but in lesbos there was these these little women groups where they would teach each other about educational things about the gods and prepare for like marriage by talking about like sensuality and exploring that within like this space of women yeah i think there's there is some conjecture about the exact nature of that kind of thing and her role in it mm -hmm. like 
I read some people it's kind of like a club or it could be, as you say, kind of the, the female counterpart to that militaristic Spartan males group mm-hmm. or sometimes like a school. I think like the the most accepted scholarly word for it is school, but it's not the same kind of school that we that we would think of today, right? So one of the key ideas I saw posited is that as she is perhaps leaving the school, she's teaching people about the arts and music specifically through memorization and mm-hmm. telling stories, so which might explain the prolific nature of the, the writings. I mean. Yeah, for sure. And similar, like she was compared to Ovid in that way of how he might have been a school teacher and writing the metamorphoses and things as like something for the students to memorize. Mm-hmm. And within their poetry, they would instill like lessons and then by memorizing these, the students would like internalize the lessons. It was less like, this is good, this is bad, like in a kind of lecture way. It was just like, here's this poem, memorize it. And then you, through memorization, internalize the me- meaning, which I think is really cool. And when it comes to her as a teacher, it was often like overemphasized, I think, as a way to kind of say, oh, all the mentions of her girls and her poems are just, like, her pupils and stuff. Like, Mm. it's not actually romantic, but, like, when you do read the poems, you see that it's not necessarily that. So I don't want to, like, overemphasize her as a teacher, but I do think it's an interesting idea of these little, like, these groups of people who come together to sharpen each other and prepare them for the world in a kind of, like, religious way, but also in just, like, a general sisterly love kind of way. I just think it's really nice. I think so too. I can I read a quote? Sure. I'll read a quote. Okay. So this is just a quote from like her it's not Wikipedia, but her like Britannica page, and it says her phrasing is concise, direct, and picturesque. She has the ability to stand aloof and judge critically her own ecstasies and grief and her emotions, lose nothing of their force by being recollected in tranquility. And I felt like this summed up her poetry really well. That you're right, like she uses these nature metaphors and they're not like so aggressive, but they're so impactful. Yeah. And they're very simple. Yeah. I think we can glean a lesson from her style for communication about the Solocene. Mm. So about the podcast itself of how perhaps in the storm of the world that we are in right now and the like immense grief that we can feel and, sadness and like anger towards the way that people are behaving and how nature is being destroyed but you can kind of stand aloof and like talk about this beautiful future and by doing that still teach lessons i'm kind of just talking to myself but i sometimes feel on the podcast we're talking about Safa. we're not talking about the melting polar ice caps that are being sold to like rich countries but by talking about love and by talking about these beautiful things you can kind of make people's hearts still receptive to the to the bad parts of life and make them almost more like resilient to those things to then actually go on and like make change. Anyway. I just thought, I don't know. There's that like, was really nice. That was really well said. Yeah. I think during the summer, last summer, there was a, I only kept up with it for about two weeks, but there was a period where every morning I tried to write a haiku about the nature around us, the nature in bloom which can seem difficult when we're in the middle of a city, but it's about focusing on 
those pretty things. And I don't think the solo scene, the concept, thinking about the future, is that separate from focusing on the nice things in the present mm. or being more sensual, being more open. Because even that word now, it has a strictly almost romantic connotation. You can't oh, say sure. like, oh yeah, me and the boys just being sensual. Like there's, there's something, or it's kind of you're saying it in a meme way like that. But you, you don't have to use that word, but it's just about being open, being vulnerable, and deliberately being perceptive, like spotting mm -hmm. things around you. I liked also your mention of the modern kind of anxieties that we feel today. I had a little exercise where I rewrote that nice poem with which I started the episode in a modern way. Okay. So instead of love shook my heart like the wind on the mountain troubling the oak trees, I wrote tension shook my mind like the wind on the scaffold rattling those cranes. Because <laughs> um, we had this... Uh, infamous i suppose moment a few years ago in our city where a crane didn't it just fall off a roof during a storm or what it, happened it, or just, crashed crumbled. In, it just crumbled crashed into a building crashed yeah. into a building that it was constructing i think mm -hmm. which i always thought was a was a nice i don't know it just felt like so metaphorical but it's this contrast of the pastoral with the industrial and also the precariousness of the latter compared to the trees that will just bend you don't imagine the the metal you know, that mm -hmm. that kind of snaps. And also it's this idea of tension as the opposite of love. It's an opposite of love. I know people say like fear is the opposite of love, but if you like tension as it manifests is kind of the opposite to love feeling. Also I I have experience anyway. Speaking of opposite of love, yeah. We have a new segment that we'd like to introduce, which is the villain of the week. So normally on Solo Scene, we started out doing the organism of the week as a kind of replacement. Like we don't have sponsors. So it was kind of a joke, like little break that we could make <laughs> yeah. and be like, this week's brought to you by the, the sponge sponge or whatever. Um, but for this semester, because we're talking about 12 people who really embody the Solo Scene message. We also wanted to bring 12 short little examples of people who don't embody the soul scene so message. So cruel. <laughs> I guess we should, we should say it's like... It's also mainly a joke. Yeah, so, jo like so it's take it with a grain a of salt. We don't... It's not like a, a witch hunt or anything. It's more like a contrasting. It's battle. just like a comedy break. Yeah, just as we're not fully celebrating the people, we're not fully um, disparaging the, the villains. Yeah. Although they are called the villains. They are called the villains. <laughs> That's just for a comedic effect. Yeah. But this week, it's just like... How hard did we laugh when we came up with this one? Pretty <laughs> when, hard. When you came up with just it. Just because it is, it's like just funny. So the villain of the week is Ellen Lee DeGeneres. <laughs> Ellen Lee? That's her middle name. Okay. So Ellen DeGeneres of The Ellen Show or The Ellen DeGeneres Show. She was born January 26, 1958. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like, how so do I treat this? <laughs> so. We're talking about how Safa was just like an example of love. And it's interesting because Ellen, for her 19-year running daytime talk show, at the end of every episode would say, be kind to one another. Yeah. And even putting aside, I'll get to her controversies in a moment, but putting that aside, it's just so corporate. It always rang false, didn't it? Like yeah. Before you knew anything about like, or rumors about how she behaves on set, how she treats people, mm -hmm. it always rang false when she comes in like dancing like whoa whoa and then mm -hmm. just like because she was the one i think who originated that prank about 
we're going to put someone in a grocery store and tell them to say mean things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this isn't funny. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like in this day and age, it's like these nice sentiments are kind of just to like sell something. Yeah. To Not necessarily to cover up because, yeah, like Ellen did give away a bunch of money and like did those types of things. But it's just like it's to sell something. Like she made millions of dollars with the show and obviously made a whole career out of it of being kind and it's like that's not a bad thing like lots of people make a career out of being kind but it's just it it rings false as you said and in 2020 ish someone put out this tweet of like what's the worst stories you've heard about ellen and it got like 2000 replies and then buzzfeed did this expose about um how like 85 out of the thousand people who had worked on the ellen set over the years had like negative stories about their treatment and it seems like i until today obviously didn't look into this i don't care really about how celebrities like celebrity stuff but anyway i looked into it and it's not as bad as i kind of thought it was i kind of thought that ellen had been out there like saying racist things i think very often people also want to cancel certain mm -hmm. certain famous people you know what i mean like as i was saying it always rang false people they were like i'm not primed. saying she wasn't mean but yeah people were primed to jump on ellen the mm-hmm. same way today they may be for like james corden or mm-hmm. even jimmy fallon to an extent yeah even though i'm coming around to him yeah you are but basically like yeah the actual controversies were just like more that the three producers were very cruel and like mm. they were fired and everything and it's like yeah of course if you're the leader of an organization you should know what's going on um so like She's not absolved of all blame. And over the years, she did some like pretty sketchy stuff. Most notably, something that I learned about today that just seemed especially cruel as like a kind of as someone who's supposed to like embody love. And especially like you'd think as a woman, you would like respect other women. But she seemed to just like not respect her guests in a lot of ways. And on one episode in like 2006, something so pretty early on, Mariah Carey had these like rumors circulating that she was pregnant and didn't want to tell people but then ellen on the show like offered her champagne and if you're pregnant you can't have (laughs) champagne so she had to like turn it down and then ended up actually having a miscarriage so it was just like very dark and like there were things like that that just kind of happened where ellen really pushed people or like just exposed people openly and yeah i don't know i think she's just an interesting foil to sappho in some ways because perhaps Sappho's sexuality was always like an inspiration for art. Whereas with Ellen, perhaps at times her coming out was like more commercialized. Yeah, but in what, we were, what we're saying, there's such an honesty to that, to her poetry, mm-hmm. even about really raw feelings. And yeah, there does feel like there's just a Golden Globesy feel to ellen whatever that even means as an adjective i don't know yeah i don't know it's hard to say she did win 33 emmys but you, for that show. you did because why why did i always watch it i don't know it was always on my was house when on. i was like age nine but yeah you it just always felt yeah it didn't feel like a real person and i mean they i'm not even maybe criticizing her exactly for that because it was far from the only show where people don't mm-hmm. act like real humans well oprah oprah's another one i mean it's another one and even the people in the crowd they don't seem real yeah i know they are really there but there's a kind of 
cartoonishness to it that's really weird the way she comes out dancing and there's a dj and she points to him mm -hmm. and then under your seats there's a a new frying pan or something yeah and i think i mean this is just going on tangent but with these characters today they really have to be characters and we have a hard time discerning them as such because yeah. we think that she's a real person mm -hmm. and it's like why would we expect someone to genuinely be flawless we probably shouldn't because no one's actually flawless. She, I can't imagine the amount of pressure she was under with like such a huge like empire under her feet. So like you're gonna mess up. You're gonna like maybe at the beginning was very genuine. I thought like I was sounding too empathetic now. She's still still the villain. Still we don't want to make her into the hero. Of the world yes, bit. but live long enough to see herself become the Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that was. But so I had another note about the romance of what I can take from Sappho's poetry, particularly. In the solo scene, the way that we socialize romance, I think, will be quite different. I know mm -hmm. that being coolly cool and coy is kind of a universal or timeless thing in romance. It's a game of like courtship or whatever. Mm -hmm. So people don't need to be head over heels and openly so from the start. But I do think there's a certain like technological distance that we put between each other now that mm -hmm. maybe even lacks a kind of. I mean, it's one thing to be coy, it's another thing to just be to lack. To treat people like they don't have the dignity, human dignity. I'm talking about like ghosting and, mm -hmm. and certain practices like that. Another thing that we've spoken about, you and I, between ourselves, is the way that we embarrass kids from a really young age when they first like hold hands with somebody or something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. We've talked about this so much, and I guess we haven't really mentioned it on the podcast that mm -hmm. one of my biggest visions for the solo scene is just like schoolgirls walking to school holding hands i remember when i was probably at least as old as seven that i would hold hands with my male friends yeah. across the road or something like right? that yeah. it's just so cute but uh, so there's that thing where it's like oh that's gay you know oh that's sapphic but also <laughs> yeah yelling that a young girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah but also it's so there's that thing where we we don't so that's that's not celebrating filial love like mm -hmm. affectionate brotherly love or sisterly but there's also what I was talking about, the way we embarrass kids if they are holding hands with a girl, if they're a boy, or with a boy, if they're a girl. Exactly. The, the, the very fledgling crushes or whatever. And mm -hmm. my point on this is basically that kids will do it amongst themselves always. Like mm -hmm. in ancient times, in, in modern times, in future times, we'll kind of make fun of like, oh, she's got a crush on so-and-so. But I don't feel like it needs to come from adults as well or from parents as well. Because I think parents always like, oh, you got a crush on, oh, look at, look at little yeah, Jimmy. Exactly. And it just makes the kid feel, I mean, the parents are having fun with it, but the mm -hmm. kids can sometimes feel kind of ashamed by it or embarrassed at least. Yeah. And so it makes them not want to think about it even openly mm -hmm. and kind of explore those thoughts, I guess. Yeah. And then it just makes them kind of afraid to express any kind of love, friend or otherwise. That's a good point. And... Still, like, I was at work the other day and I was leaving. My boss was like, are you a hugger? And it's like, we should probably just be able to, like, embrace each other after, like, a... <laughs> are you a hugger? Without, so like, <laughs> you know, having that... No, I, I don't... I, it doesn't... I don't even think it needs to be... Like I, like, I don't think uniformly that people... I wouldn't say that people should be touchier and feelier. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just about the way that you make other people feel for being so. Mm -hmm. Like, if someone does hug... You shouldn't whisper to someone, oh, look at him. He's good. It's yeah. like, that's. It's like a reaction. And we're kind of making it seem like it's 
like villainizing it in a yeah, way. Villain of the week. Yeah. Um, another point I had is about celebrating femininity in this kind of unashamed way that most of her poetry, or even the, maybe the fact of her poetry, does in a really true sense. And I think, on the other hand, masculinity, because you can't really talk about one without the other. You're kind of indirectly celebrating one if you celebrate the other, which I think is a lovely thing. Yeah. And the way she invokes the female deities, the way it was an all-girls school, I don't think in the solar scene exactly it needs to be like, we need to have gendered schools. But I think certain kinds of love and experience are maybe missed out on in a push for inclusivity everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, I know it, what you mean. Like me not... and my friends often talk about how traditionally, like women, when they would be menstruating, would like isolate themselves from the men. Okay. And like go to like these, like be like, "Don't look at us," kind of thing. Right. And not in like a mean way, but just in like a, we understand each other because of this biological experience, and can kind of like people used to always be in sync, but because we're so isolated, like this is just one example, and it's like very biological, obviously. And I think trying to make everyone do the same thing isn't great. And, and maybe occupy the same places all the time, for instance. Yeah, and it's just like having the options. And it's perhaps like it's good both ways. Yeah, I just think it should be a bit more of an open conversation than it maybe is today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, more ideas like that. Because we tend to shout shout down everything. I mean, archaic is an, is an insult, right? You say, mm-hmm. oh, that's an archaic idea or construct. Mm-hmm. But some things sound quite lovely. I mean, obviously, there's bad elements to everything, present day, past day, whatever, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you shouldn't mine history for different ways of treating uh, institutions. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, it's just about the the kind of common area or gray area between sensuality and religion, which I feel like we view today as entirely distinct because maybe most religious practices today are by nature world-denying. But what I really loved about her poetry is the way she identifies the self with the land very frequently. So you have mm. an oak tree with the wind rustling its leaves. And there's this other one I wrote down, which is a full moon shone and around the shrine stood devotees poised and in place. So mm. this is kind of like, yeah, visceral imagery allowing you to become the nature around you, I suppose. And mm. it's a it's a little bit exemplified in that industrial retelling i wrote of the first poem where we don't actually have that many oak trees around us or mountains and in cities you can't really see the full moon that well and such and such so it's it's hard to identify with the land when it feels like it's been all built up Mm. but yeah sappho was one of the first greek poets to insert the eye into her poetry Mm, before then a lot of the poems had been the poet as a conduit for the divine. Yeah, like like the Homeric, like like the Odyssey or something like that. Yeah. But she like put herself in it. And perhaps now we've gone back to that Homeric way of we don't really want to put ourselves in it, so we use these metaphors. Well, I think we're very in it today. Like we've we're very deep down and not identical like we feel a disconnect between ourselves and the land. But I really mm-hmm. like this unity in there. And I think that genuine belief is the engine of that or like the substance of that yeah so i think we can just close on talking about some direct solacine lessons we can draw or inspirations we can take from sappho and her poetry the first of mine is an individual one about 
it sounds very trite, but being yourself to such an extent that it becomes almost mythological. Because while Sappho wrote a lot about deities and even Troy, she wrote about and uh, Aphrodite and, and various mythological figures, she herself has become, through history, a kind of paragon. I mean, that's yeah. why we're talking about her today. It's like a paragon of love. And even I had, there's a story about the way she died, yeah. which isn't correct, right? Like it no, didn't it's really just happen. mixed up with the story of Aphrodite. Yeah, but there's a myth about how Sappho basically jumped off a cliff uh, towards her lover, who she'd fallen so head over heels for. He was a, a ferryman or a myth- mythologized ferryman. Mm-hmm. And then she died. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you embody these ideals so much that people write myths about the way you died. Mm. to better suit that ideal yeah i don't mean this about fame but i do mean this about just committing to what you are which can be really hard to discover especially when we have so much kind of noise around us today mm. but about self-discovery and being true to yourself i guess yeah. that's it well my next one is equally as cheesy so it is called the sapphic law so this was written kind of about her, like, extracted from her poetry, this law. And it's that beauty demands love, and love, in turn, creates the beautiful. Oh, Isn't that nice? I thought that's very soul-esteem, of, like, let's create love, and then the world will become more beautiful. Aw. (laughs) I also did a little bit of interesting, like, research about, like, the word platonic, because I was interested in the meaning of platonic besides just, like, meaning non-sexual love. And looked into Platonic ideals, which was like Plato's philosophy mm-hmm. of how there are these things that exist kind of in like the fifth dimension of like the ideal. The ideal tree. And that everything in the world is just like shadows of that kind of. The shadow tree, the image of the tree. Yeah. So we often use like the Platonic ideal to mean something that seems more perfect than it could actually be in this realm. And I think creating platonic ideals is kind of a cute exercise to do of like, well, I can't decide what to have for dinner. What would the platonic ideal of dinner be? But that's, that's a shallow answer. It was just like yeah, using that as kind of an exercise. We do this all the time. Yeah, we do. I mean, uh, for one thing, that's what this podcast is. Yeah. <laughs> but for another, because I'm so gluttonous, I will say to you, like, what would be the perfect ravioli? <laughs> you did say that to me at like 6 a.m. this morning. Yeah, I was hungry for some pasta. Yeah. Another one is a kind of a concrete uh, educational value, I suppose, which is about memory, specifically memorizing poetry, which I think we often, we often again, call that kind of rote learning archaic, as in, oh, it stifles creativity and it stifles the, the artistic spirit. But I really think it can do the opposite and it can free you artistically if like I would love to know a bunch of poetry by heart. I think that would be incredible because mm-hmm. then as a poet, you could draw from it freely. And also I just feel like there's a level to which really knowing something like that can ease your mind from always racing. I don't know. For some reason, I think it can be a, a mindfulness technique. It can be like an almost meditative practice yeah. to memorize things. That's what I've so. experienced anyway. And kind of along with this is just about people writing poems i think we too often today or maybe i'm guilty of it will use the capital p poets it's like well that person's an artist or that person's a writer Mm -hmm. and i'm just a whatever 
but I really like this idea that the like samurais where everyone was writing haikus. I think it can be a good practice for self-discovery and I guess emotional intelligence to use that therapy speak again. Yeah, and like the haikus, you could create a a system for writing them because oftentimes you might sit down and be like, I need to like capture all of these big emotions and then you write like four pages or you don't even start because like this is going to be four pages. But if you limit yourself or say like it's going to be two rhyming lines or whatever, just yeah. like create a little like system to start with and then it will become more natural, similar to like the memorization of like you internalize all of this and then it becomes more natural to be more poetic with this is just like giving yourself a little format and then you'll kind of eventually want to be creative outside of that. Also, writing more in general, just like write letters, love letters <laughs> to like not necessarily romantic partners, but just like writing a letter when you're on vacation and sending it to your mom. Like Love letters to the boys. To the boys. I don't like that to the boys thing. I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say. So yeah. thank you all for listening. If you are interested in following along with the semester, please subscribe on YouTube. We also have a clothing line, which is all sustainably made. You can find that in our zines on our website. And I hope you all have a great rest Wait, of your week. I have two more things. Oh. One is a solo scene recommends. It's a movie I watched this week called Dreams by Akira Kurosawa, the Japanese director. I haven't seen a lot of his works, but this one, uh, you saw some of it as well. Yeah. It's an anthology. It's about two hours of the director's dreams that he's had. I think they're recurring dreams through his life. And some of them are beautiful, some of them are dark, but they're all very thought-provoking and colorful. And there's at least two in particular that are really solacing. I showed you one of them, the Van Gogh one. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a very pretty movie. And secondly, I think we should close on a poem. We should compose one. Maybe just a rhyming couplet. So I'll say one line, you say one as well. Poem on paper, flying like a dove. How can I capture the feelings from above?